sunlight hit. As Amikawa-san watched the younger generation come onto the bridge. After the great mistake, the reconstruction of homes began on the delta, and strangers arrived from higher up the Ota River. Some even came from Tokyo, Osaka, Kobe, and Fukuoka. Hiroshima had a population of 300,000 before the war. Ten times that number lived here now. Returning soldiers had come. One million had been abroad. The hour approached 8 a.m. Amikawa-san scanned the flow, but much was blurry. When his eyes had been stronger, he had the chance of spotting her. In that first year, he had seen her kimono with the blue cranes a dozen times, but he could never get across the bridge fast enough. The radiation sickness had slowed his body. She may have seen him on those occasions. She may have lacked the courage and rushed away. In 1974, a car knocked Amikawa-san down in the gathering that ensued. Someone pointed straight at him. He's causing this sort of thing all the time. Amikawa-san apologized and made a point, mostly to himself, to be careful after that day. He was being watched. their arrangement to meet here at Motoyasu Bridge was a promise. Both had given their word, and he was not going to let her down. Disfigurement, maybe. Disfigurement, and maybe she could not take on the public. Quite likely. I will take her as she is. It was no fault of her own. Emikawa was the one to suggest Motoyasu Bridge as the meeting point. It was no doubt the worst place. But we can't ever know how what we choose will affect us. And this point is where we first met. Is it the later years, perhaps? Does she worry about her looks in these later years? Maybe there was no disfigurement. Age has its own disfigurement. No matter what, she had said, I will be there, and if not on the first day, look for me on the second. Her last words. Or perhaps he made that up. It was fifty years ago, soon to be. It will be in a few days. Who knew the brutish quality of time all over the world, if one lives long enough, learns this, the brutish quality of time.
how all get stuck on a bridge, reaching hands out for the past, to snatch, to hold that thing firmly that should have defined us. Ah, these incessant cars, bicycles, sunglasses. How can I find her? Wait, is that her there? With her back to me? Those are her shoulders. And how they would be aged. A horn sounded in Amikawa-san. Paused. Rocked on the curb. A bicycle bell destroyed his equilibrium, and he moved out of the way, stumbled. You're a nuisance, came a voice. He had fallen. On the curb, he felt his wrists. They were not broken. He needed his hands to write the manuscript. He grabbed his valise, his umbrella, got up, and looked to see who had seen him. No police. Good because one had told him just days before, you cannot linger here. It's a thoroughfare. People must get to their work. Stay, and you will meet your end here. I know you said you are looking for someone, but if I catch you here again, you will be banned for good, and not only from Motoyasu Bridge, but from the benches of Peace Park. And then Amikawa looked. His eyes, they were excellent. A rush of dry, cold winter air had come and had restored them. He looked up at that high ceiling of cloud that is there. There and not here, that helped. Rainy days were also good. It slowed the traffic and there were no sunglasses so he could see faces. Eyes. A person is their eyes. The rainy day was a friend, but there were the accursed umbrellas. The temple bell sounded. Gong, gong. Amikawa-san studied his broken watch. The broken watch is accurate at this moment, only at this moment of the day. 814 a.m., the moment of the great mistake, stopped in the watch, held behind my broken crystal. He looked across the lanes of traffic and saw a policeman, gong, gong, gong. Emikawa-san left the bridge and headed for where the love hotels met the river, before the street turned east. A foreigner was on a bicycle. He slowed and he nodded at Emikawa-san. Emikawa watched his dismount and he watched the foreigner enter the coffee shop called Event Coffee. English. It was everywhere. Western references had once been rooted out especially in the time of the war. And way back in 1639, Japan had isolated itself from the world, allowing only the Dutch and the Chinese a limited trade from Dejima Island. 
near Nagasaki in the south. Western books were banned in 1720. But when the American Commodore Perry arrived, the scene changed. In 1853, Commodore Perry sailed in and he demanded trade. English, look, it's back in the lights. It's in the language of business, and everyone here is learning it, the whole country. Along Hondori Street, Amikawa-san chose a bench outside the Big Ant Pharmacy. He put his umbrella aside, unbuckled his valise, and took out the manuscript. He read to himself. Her head weighed it like a sunflower. She had a small nose and long eyelashes. Your skin, it's like snow, said Amekawa. So, do you accept my invitation to Hiroshima Castle? She spoke with a smoky flavor, that attractive masculine rasp that is found in some women. A downdraft came and set blossoms in her hair. I'm sorry, she said. Please go to school, Amikawa-san. Forget my invitation. It's selfishness, and it's irresponsible. He said nothing but moved along with her, and soon they left the trees for the crowds of Densha Dori. Electrical charges spat from streetcar cables. Trucks with military supplies rolled by. Amikawa's journey to school never included this world of shops and cellars. He smelled dried fish and saw squid in flakes. Sayori would say hello to people, he noticed, and she would nod. She knew them. Please wait outside this shop, she said. Women walked by in the April drizzle and they looked at the two. No doubt they wondered about him in his school uniform. And then Sayori was back, with groceries in her basket. Food stamps, she said. I got lucky, no cue. How old are you? Fifteen, said Amekawa. Are you counting conception? If not, you're my age. Sixteen. Why aren't you in military training? My name is down for Autumn. He looked past the towel that was in her basket. It cradled the produce. She had bananas, apples, half a cabbage, tofu, and miso paste. She saw him looking and with the towel covered the food. She opened her umbrella for them and they entered a side street. Everyone will think we are brother and sister, but it's best to go this way. This seems to be your first outing, she said. But Amikawa kept it quiet. Instead, he looked at the gable roofs, resting heavily on dark structural beams. It was the shops, and all looked so heavy in the rain. But then up ahead, 
where the skyline began above the roofs. He saw the castle. He saw it rising. Gray cloud a sky's worth was its backdrop. Where's your school, she said. By the sports field, Nakahiro Machi. Mine was in Koi. It was the two-story on the hill. It had a twisty path where below was squashed ginkgo nuts. My father sent money till his death on February 14th. He was in Singapore. My mother sews. I sell flowers. The people buy for homes, for the home shrines. Luxuries have become important. I work as a telephone operator at night. We have operators there as young as 12. They're so cute in their formal speech. But listen to me, forget sister, I feel like a mother, a preachy mother. Amikawa looked at her yukata. It was not the cutting of the day. Had she made the dress? She drew in her garment when she saw him looking. And they crossed a thoroughfare, entering the castle grounds. This is close to Shukien Gardens. Then you do know the city, she said. Sure. I went to Shukien Gardens not so long ago, but it's so far for you. Does your family have a car? My father, yes. Emekawa set his bicycle in a shed. And it was here that there came the sense of how much taller she was. It was better when he was under her umbrella. They moved along and as they passed guards with machine guns, the rain pelted them. For hundreds of years, soldiers marched on these castle grounds, she said. Battalions in preparation for war. The field marshal's tall hat standing above all. At the moat were a swan and cygnets. Winter is ending. It's April. World events cannot stop the seasons, she said. On the embankment they watched as cherry blossoms fell into the moat. As they came into the inner courtyard they saw more cherry blossoms. But on the soil in patterns where they had fallen. Sayori took Amikawa's arm a little. You don't mind. Do you mind? There were elderly weathered women. They had sweets for purchase. They must have expected a better turnout, said Sayori. And only you and me, look. We're the turnout. The elderly women kept their eyes on Sayori as she paid the two yen admittance for both. It's an investment, she said, of the money. Me and you. Do you smell the cedar? They looked up at the castle. Mortis and tendon, she said. Kyoto has a temple whose beams are tied with women's hair. Petitioners over a thousand years ago called on local ladies during its construction. I don't think they could say no, and women, they love their hair. It's as strong as spider's silk. Maybe it is spider's silk. 
Her raspy voice always seemed to have some humor in it, and there was no doubt comfort. Amikawa looked down at the public slippers. He looked as she set her umbrella in the basket. Sayuri, he said, and she looked at him. I knew you were having trouble remembering my name. Oh no, I don't think I was. They removed their street footwear and put on slippers and entered the display area. There were others inside here milling about looking at the doll collections. They're northerners, said Sayuri, of the Kanto or Kansai district. See the small noses, the high cheekbones? You can tell, he said. Sure, I make a study of faces and of form. He looked at her. She too had a small nose and high cheekbones. The doll collections waited under globe lights, which produced a sheen on their doll faces, as of fresh crying. Do you see how all collections climb to the apex, to the seats of the emperor and the empress? said Sayori, the emperor in purple, peering out from under his hat, the empress, with conical hair in her red funnel dress. Below, see, the ladies-in-waiting, and then the musicians, their chins raised and eyes caught in song, fingers positioned for the silence sung harmonious notes. Below is the retainer, with his devotion, and the broadest tier, that's the three guards. You speak like a historian. It's our duty to know, she said, smiling, revealing her prominent eye tooth. And dolls, the collections of Hina Matsuri, they're my passion. I will make a collection one day, the best in the country. I do tailor work now. I made this yukata that I wear. The problem is the world inspiring these collections is changing or disrupted. The handicraft, it's suffering. Passions are difficult to indulge. But Girls' Day Festival, Hina Matsuri, means devotion. Devotion is Japan's lifeblood. The others were eavesdropping. The silk white, said Sayuri seeming to enjoy having caught the attention of the others. The cotton green and royal blue. The clothing is just as important, the material, I mean, except that you have nothing without proportion. All art is proportion. The others moved on. Emikawa-san, do you think they instill fear? The dolls, he said, looking at her, worrying suddenly about having missed school. He saw that her face could be a doll's, a figurine, because her skin was so fair, her nose sharp, small, and perfected. She smiled and he saw the tooth. But they had done with the viewing. They stood in the shoe removal area. You appeared transfixed, Emikawa-san. She patted his back. You have missed school 
and run off with a girl. She leaned on her umbrella to wait for him as he got his footwear on. She sang along to music that was playing. Hinamatsuri, March 3rd, the Festival of the Dolls, Girls' Day Festival. This is the day on which wishes are expressed for the future happiness of girls. Tanoshi, Hinamatsuri, the Girls' Day song. As she sang, he could see the bump in the skin of her mouth, the area that covered the stray tooth, and then he was ready. She led him outside, where he put out his hand for rain. Try smelling, she said, and he did. They moved towards the moat, where above was a bench. It was here that Sayuri laid out her towel. Sun rays appeared through the cloud, and it lit the moss on the moat's retaining stone. Sayuri produced a bento a lunchbox that had been under the produce hidden by her towel. With her chopsticks, she divided portions in the lunchbox and then produced a second set of chopsticks. I always have a spare set, she said, because you never know. We'll share. She put the largest portion on his side. It's more of my investment. You are investing in me, he said. The greatest investment there is, is in others. She ate, but then laid her chopsticks aside. I'm not so hungry, and we must never fill a stomach. You eat. Do you see how the blossoms make pink parades as they float down into the water? Floating parades, whose petals strike the slime. That's not making my eating easy, he said. I'm not so hungry either. He replaced the bento lid. Well then, you can kiss me, she said. Is that wrong for a girl to ask? And then she laughed. You're afraid? Or maybe it's that you miss school. School will end for me soon enough. Please don't say that, she said, pulling the lunchbox closer. She moved herself into his arms. I told you about my father, and I hate the enemy. They held hands in silence, looked ahead till the few doll viewers came out of the castle and deserted the grounds. He wanted to kiss her, but he had waited too long. A damp chill filled the air. The day had advanced. Rain came and they stood. Emekawa-san, she said, bowing. This has been my girl's day. She put up her umbrella 
and they passed a lone gunner loitering at one of the cellar's tables. They crossed the lanes, and they entered the side street, and in the rain, holding his bicycle handles under a dripping roof, Amikawa kissed her, kissed Sayuri. <laughs>